0: We are all waiting for something. For some of us, we're waiting for school to begin, to get a degree, graduation. Others of us are waiting around uh, for a date, for maybe a ring uh, for a child. Uh, Some of us are waiting for work, a callback, a promotion, maybe retirement. During this season, some of us are waiting for a cure. We're waiting for another check, Uh, We're waiting for vacation because we're just so exhausted. And more than waiting for a milestone, some of us are waiting for something more relational. Uh, We're waiting for uh, our spouse maybe to change. Uh, We're waiting for maybe a a child to, to turn back around again. For some of us, it's a little bit more personal even. As we look at our own lives, Maybe we feel like we're not as far along as we would have liked. Maybe because we're wrestling with something or grieving or hurting or, or healing, we're, we're waiting for this period to, to pass while we kind of look around and see other people passing us by. Maybe we're waiting. And maybe God has called us right now into a season to do just that. Uh, there's an author, Uh, Her name is uh, Betsy Childs Howard, and she writes about this. And she actually proposes that maybe God isn't making us wait, but instead, maybe God actually wants us to wait. Uh, the, The Puritans, they actually call this period of time God's school of waiting for us. Is that how we feel right now? Is that maybe how you're thinking that you're just frustrated and feeling trapped and stuck when you wish you were further along, when you wish things would happen a little bit sooner. What is God doing in this time? Why is he taking so long? What exactly is going on? And as we wait, what is God trying to do? What is he trying to do with us? And today, this is what we're going to be looking at, we're going to be trying to address these questions from Mark chapter 5. And so if you have your Bible or a phone, I invite you to turn with me. Uh, thank you so much, uh, student leaders, for reading that passage for us. It is so good for me to uh, see all your faces. And as we go through this story in Mark chapter 5, uh, 21 to the end of the chapter, uh, this is what we're going to try to do. This is what I'm going to try to do today. Uh, First, I'll try to summarize the story again. Uh, Secondly, then we'll look at what lessons does God have for us as we're looking at this story. Uh, And and finally, uh, what does it actually mean for us? What are some practical things we could take away as we wait? What exactly does God want us and what does he call us to do? And so we're going to begin with the story, and I'm going to try to stay as close to the text as possible as I kind of sum it up. Uh, and so let's, let's begin with the story. Jesus, he, he crosses over to the other side of the sea, and as he does that, immediately uh, a man approaches him and drops to his knees. And, and this man, we're introduced to him, and his name is Jairus. He falls, and he's introduced as one of the rulers of the synagogues, uh, which for our context, might be something like an elder. And he comes before Jesus, a respectable, dignified man, but he does something very out of character. He drops down and he pleads with Jesus, why? Well, it's because his daughter is dying, something is wrong, and what he does is he he says to Jesus, please come with me, lay your hands on my daughter, my only daughter probably, and, and so you can heal her. Come with me quickly. There's not much time. Jesus agrees, and so he he goes with Jairus, and they head over. And and as they travel, the crowd is following Jesus. And Mark pauses here, and we kind of zoom in on one particular person in the crowd. Mark highlights this woman. This woman, it says, she's had this uh, condition, this chronic problem Uh, for about 12 years, she's been discharging blood. And uh, based on how it's described, uh, it's it's very likely that it's some sort of uh, menstruation problem. And what she's been trying to do is she emptied out her entire bank account. She's been seeing doctors. She's been getting treatment. But as she's trying to get better, what instead happens is she's only growing worse. And because it's probably a, a menstruation issue, what, is, what that means in this context in society is if you can't have kids, it's a big problem because that also means it'll probably be really difficult for a woman like this to go off and get married. And so this is a huge problem for her. She probably feels like this is holding her back and time is just passing by. But as being someone in the crowd it's her lucky day, because although she has this problem, Jesus is walking by, and everyone's heard of him. He is this miracle worker who's been casting out demons, calming storms, and and word has spread about his healings, that he healed a man who couldn't walk, He, he healed a man with a withered hand, and this woman is thinking, if Jesus has healed those people, then maybe he can heal me too. And so as the crowd is following, everyone's trying to talk to him, get a piece of him. Thousands, tens of thousands of people are probably surrounding him as he's trying to travel with Jairus. And we can hear her saying in the crowds, if I only touch a piece of his garment, then maybe I'll be healed. That's kind of a strange thought. It's a long shot, but she goes for it. She gets close enough, she reaches out, touches him, and immediately, she's healed. Jesus knows this the moment it happens, and he actually stops. He looks around, he turns to his disciples, and he asks them, "Uh, who who just touched me? And they respond and say, well, there's thousands of people here. Everyone, everyone's trying to get a piece of you. Are are you kidding me? And he responds and he says, no, 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 someone touched me, something just happened. And, he, and as this is going down, this, this woman, she realizes she's about to be confronted. She comes before Jesus, afraid, trembling, falls at his feet, tells her entire story to him. And Jesus patiently listens and then addresses her and says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. As Jesus is speaking, Jairus gets word that something terrible has happened. His stomach sinks because what he just heard from a messenger is that his daughter is dead. It's too late. They didn't get there fast enough. And Jesus overhears this and he says, you know what? Let's head over there and just regardless, let's still go. And so he takes Peter, James, and John, his inner circle, and they they continue to to travel over. And so they go over to to Jairus' house. Jesus tells Jairus, do not fear, only believe. And as they arrive outside, there's all these people weeping and wailing. They've been hired to grieve the death of this child, which is devastating. And Jesus gets there and he says to the people, no, this, this child is not dead. She's sleeping. They they laugh at him. They think he's making a joke, but he's not. He takes his inner circle. He takes Jairus, his wife. They go in. They see this girl dead. Jesus takes her by the hand and says, Talitha kumi in Aramaic, which translates to something like, Honey, sweetie, get up, wake up something she would hear every morning from probably her parents. And just like that, Jesus reaches into death and pulls her right up out of it. Jesus heals her. She's resurrected. She begins to walk around. Jesus says, get this girl something to eat. They do that, and then everyone is amazed. And that's how the story ends. So what does this story teach us? What does the story tell us about waiting? And more importantly, what does the story tell us about Jesus, who He is and what He's trying to do as we feel like time is passing by? We're going to look at two things this morning. and the first one is: Jesus does the unexpected. He constantly is doing things that no one can predict that no one expects. Take Jairus, he came to Jesus because he didn't have much time. The condition of his daughter is critical, it's urgent, it's an emergency, and what he wants from Jesus is, let's get there so that you can can save her before she dies. But Jesus had other plans. He wanted to do something different. He wanted to do something greater. The woman in the crowd, Let's think about her. What did she want? What she actually wanted was to just touch and get, a, get a, a, touch just a fraction of his garment, be healed, transformed, and then just slip back away. She wanted to get healed and, and get out of there. But instead, what did Jesus wanna do? Jesus wanted to acknowledge her. He wanted to have a conversation with her, listen to her, address her tenderly. He wanted to do something different than what she wanted as well. So what does that mean for us? What is Jesus doing? He's constantly doing the unexpected. Jesus does not work or or operate according to our timelines or our agenda. No, no, he he doesn't do that at all. He, He works in his own way and he moves at his own pace. Jesus will not be hurried, he will not be rushed, he will not be controlled. Jesus is doing something different, but something better. And even when I think about something like this in my own life, this is so true, because, you know, when I went to college, uh, we did this leadership training where a pastor told us, hey, I want you to make your life plan, map out, From 18, what you're gonna do, what you want to happen until you're 50. And I can tell you that none of those things turned out as I expected or in some ways as I wanted, but God is doing something different. Jesus is at work in a different way. Even as we look through the gospels, I I, I find this so fascinating. There's never a moment where Jesus is teaching or when Jesus is performing miracles or caring for people, that someone would go up to Jesus and say, aha, exactly, I knew you were gonna say that, I knew you were gonna do that, that never happens. Why, because Jesus is doing something unexpected and different and better. But you might be wondering, better? I know, I know definitely he's doing something different than what I want, but better? How could all this fighting at home be better? How could all this waiting around be better? How could the death of someone that I care about be better? How could this be better? And my encouragement would be, you know, when we read stories like this, we're reading the whole thing, right, from beginning to end. If we stopped halfway through, you know what we would be left with in this story in Mark 5? We would would be left with a woman who's sick and a child who's dead. And for a lot of us, the pain comes as we're waiting because our story's not over, God's not done. He's still doing something. He's still working. Jesus is still moving. Our story is not finished. And so don't press eject just yet. Because Jesus is truly doing something better. How do we know that? Well, it leads us to our second point. Not only does Jesus do the unexpected, but Jesus cares about us. He cares about us. What I love about the story is, in a society where women aren't valued very highly, Jesus specifically helps two different women here. Uh, The daughter of Jairus and this woman in the crowd. And if we look at both of them, we actually realize and see that they are so different. See, Jairus, on the one hand, he's a ruler of a synagogue. That means he's this reputable, religious man. He is spiritual. He has great social standing. Of course, Jesus would help someone probably like him. But then on the other hand, we're introduced to the woman in the crowd, And she definitely has no status because we're not even introduced to her name. We don't get it anywhere here. So she's unknown, but more than that, if she's dealing with this menstruation issue, then she would be considered ceremonially unclean as well. So she would be the social outcast who spent all of her money, who who has no standing and is by herself. So who does Jesus care for here? And Mark is trying to paint a picture of two very different people. Who does Jesus care for for here? Both. Both individuals. And this says something deeply about how Jesus sees people compared to how the world sees people. And maybe how we're viewed by God ourselves. See, to the world, Jairus, he is somebody important. But this woman in the crowd, she is essentially a nobody. Nobody knows her, no one's around her. She doesn't have much. But Jesus sees both of them and he cares deeply, loves deeply both of them. See, uh, at this past winter retreat, which feels like forever ago, uh, we had uh, this prayer time and I was with a boy group we're praying together for each other, and uh, he goes into the middle. We're asking each other, what are your prayer requests? And, and this one student, he says, man, I feel like I'm invisible. I feel like no one cares about me. I've messed up a lot. I've done a lot of bad things. Uh, I, I just feel like I, I don't matter at all. And then his friends laid hands on him. We're praying for him. And I really felt like the Holy Spirit was moving at that time. You know, some of you have been to youth retreats, right? People are crying at night. It's it's that whole thing. And at the end of it, he actually says, you know what? Even though the world might say that I'm nobody, I know that Jesus cares for me. I'm somebody to him. That's what he said to me. And, And I feel like... He got, he grasped a, a fraction of probably how this woman was feeling, also. See, Jesus, he doesn't look at our reputation, our religiosity, our social standing, our bank account. He doesn't look at any of that. Instead, he looks at faith. For Jairus and this woman in the crowd, they both exercise faith in him, and he, he looks at them and says, You're mine. You're my people. You're my children and I have not forgotten you, I care for you, I love you, and I will not forsake you. Nothing can separate you from my love. When I read this story, I really identify with Jairus. I'm a pretty impatient person, I confess, and maybe some of you could relate. See, if Jesus was with the crowds, and I was in Jairus' position, I know it doesn't say in the text, but I would be thinking, Jesus, come on, this, this lady, she's, she's not doing well, sure, but this is not life or death. My daughter, though, my 12-year-old daughter, she's, she's over there. This, this is much more critical. This is much more urgent. I would be thinking, Jesus, come on, let's go. Let's go together. Time is running out. And I wonder if he actually said something like that Maybe Jesus would respond with something like, Jairus, I know your daughter, your 12-year-old daughter is dying, but actually, I have a daughter. I have a daughter here who's been bleeding for 12 years, and she's been crying and struggling and broken, and I care for her too. She's also my child. See, for those who put their faith in Jesus, We're his children, we're his sons and daughters. And and, and see, uh, all these stories, I believe they're historical. And so as I read it, I have this kind of weird imagination where it it needs to be as uh, vivid uh, for me as possible, for me to really engage. And so as I'm thinking about the story, you know Jesus, uh, when he started his ministry, depending on how you date things, he started in his probably late 20s, early 30s, something around there. And if you're thinking, like, what what does that even look like? Uh, I'm 29 as a reference point, and so take it as it is, okay? Um, And and the woman that he's speaking to, the woman in the crowd, it says she's been bleeding for 12 years. If it really is a uh, menstruation problem, uh, which is very likely, I think, this would probably make her at least in her 20s, maybe mid-20s, even later than that, And the way that Jesus addresses her is, he says to her, really, kind of in a strange way, he says, daughter. And imagine your friend, like your peer, because they're around the same age. Imagine them saying something like that to you, like calling you with a straight face, son or daughter. It's a very strange situation we have here. But actually, I think it's very tender and beautiful also. See, when I go see my family, uh, and, and I hear my mom pray, I hear my grandma pray, she's in her 90s, oftentimes they open up and begin their prayer with something like, 我们天上的父, or Abba, Fu," And in Mandarin, that translates as, Heavenly Father, Abba Father. And, and although my, my mom is, older than me, my grandma's much older, even for them, when they relate to God, they, they're realizing he's my father, I'm his daughter, I'm his son, I'm, I'm his child. See, Jesus, he doesn't look at age, status, standing, wealth, behavior, works, he doesn't look at any of that. For those who put their faith in Jesus, Jesus cares and loves them. He cares for them. And you might be thinking, really? Does he really love me? Because you might be in a season where it's really difficult. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of struggle. There's a lot of heartache. And probably you've questioned God and and you've asked things and doubted and said, maybe even in your prayers, something like, God, do you really care for me? Do you really love me? God, can I actually trust you through this? What exactly are you doing? Can I know that you love me still? Because it doesn't feel like it. And in those moments, I think Jesus would turn to us and he shows us absolutely yes absolutely I care about you. Even in your pain, even in your heartache, even in this darkness, this unbearable season, absolutely I care about you. How do we know that? How do we know this? See, I think about how, I've always wondered this, how does this woman, in a crowd of tens of thousands of people potentially, how does this woman actually make her way to Jesus? Think about that. Even if you tried to do this, it would be really difficult to do so. But then I think about how long she's been having this physical pain, this this issue, and maybe everyone knows that she's struggling with this. And see, this problem would not just make her unclean, but everyone in this community and context would believe that, hey, if, if this woman touches or makes contact with anyone, then, then that person would also be unclean. And so I really wonder if this crowd is surrounding Jesus as, as Jesus is moving through, and as she's going through the crowd, everyone knows and notices her, and, and they start to back up a little bit. And so as she's walking towards Jesus, there's just this space, this social distancing, okay, there's this area around. While everyone moves away from her, Jesus doesn't flinch. In fact, Jesus, he's the one who brings up, who touched me? Knowing very well that it was gonna be this woman. What does this say about Jesus and his love for us? This means Jesus doesn't move away from our suffering. He doesn't move away from our sin. In fact, he's even willing to become unclean for us. See, and then as he makes his way over to, to see Jairus' daughter, what does he do when he enters that room uh, with, with this child who's dead? What does he say as, as he's entering this house? He says, she's not dead, she's just sleeping. D- do you see what Jesus is saying about death here? He's saying, death to me is like sleep. It's not this uh, thing, that it's not this permanent thing, it's, it's just temporary, Jesus is saying to us, if you question my love, if you doubt my care or my affection for you, look at how I'm handling sin. Look at how I interact with you as you're struggling and suffering. See, what Jesus does is God made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus is willing to take on our sin take on our shame, take on our guilt, and die for us on the cross and rise up to new life. This is the gospel for us. Not that a woman was able to reach out to God so that she could be healed of something physical, but the gospel tells us that God was willing to reach out towards us, to take on our sin, to take on our wrath, our punishment, Because of his love for us. Don't you see his affection for us? Jesus looks at us and says, I have not forgotten you, I will never forsake you, nothing can separate you from my love. That's what the gospel says his grace is for all of his children. So, what does this practically mean for us as we wait? Because time is passing by. Days, weeks, months, years are passing by. What can we practically do right after this? What can we practically do on a Monday as we wait? And I think Jesus is, is maybe challenging us or pushing us in this particular direction. Just one practical thing as we wrap up. I think God is calling us as we wait to choose faith over fear. As he interacts with the woman and Jairus, he highlights their, th- this idea. He's trying to draw their attention to faith. See, after he heals the woman in the crowd, she's, she isn't excited. She's actually afraid. She's terrified because now she's gonna be noticed by Jesus. And Jesus turns to her and says to her in front of everyone else, daughter, your faith has healed you. Then as Jairus finds out that his daughter has died, what does he say to him? Do not fear, only believe. Again, highlighting this element of faith. As we wait, I think it's so easy for uh, fear to creep into our hearts because we don't know what's coming up ahead. We don't know timelines. We don't know how things will play out. We don't know scenarios. We can try to plan and imagine the best of our ability But we're not sure. And so for a lot of us, we begin to be afraid, anxious. We start panicking. We don't know what exactly is going to happen. And Jesus is saying to us, as you wait, remember, I love you. I care for you. I may be doing something different. I may be doing something unexpected, but I'm doing something greater Don't focus on your circumstance, situation, people passing you by, look to me, put your trust in me. So if you're not a Christian, I think the invitation is crystal clear in this passage. Put your faith in Jesus, maybe even for the first time, you're realizing, well, circumstance, people, situations, I can't control any of this, I have no control at all. I don't I have no idea what to expect. It doesn't work like that. And maybe God is showing you, you need to trust in me. You need to put your faith in Jesus Christ, in this grace, in this gospel for the first time. For others of us, maybe we are Christian, we've been walking with God for a while, and I think Jesus might be challenging and calling us to, to fight for our faith. I hear a lot of people say things like, you know what, I gave God a shot, I gave him a try, it didn't work out, and so you know what, I left. It wasn't for me. And I wonder if when they say something like that, instead of of them putting their faith in Jesus and putting their trust and hope in Jesus, I wonder instead what actually happened is I brought my agenda and schedule to Jesus, to God, and I asked him to bless me. I asked him to do these things for me. And when it didn't happen, when it, when it didn't go as I wanted, I bailed. Maybe what God is challenging us to do is to fight for our faith at this time, to really put our faith in him. Jesus will not be controlled He is at work. He's doing what he's doing. And he's doing it out of love for us and to bring glory to the Father. And so for some of us, maybe we're invited to fight and contend for our own faith. That means connecting in community. That means praying, really walking with God, abiding, getting into his word individually as a family, worshiping him, singing, meditating, delighting and maybe even serving and reaching out. And I think we definitely know people around us too who are struggling with their faith. And maybe God is calling us to them as well. Waiting is hard, but God doesn't just make us wait. God wants us to wait so our faith in him could grow.